You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Well, from modern day violence to, uh, to biblical violence, we are we're witnessing that something in scriptures that basically has pointed to the fact that this is nothing new. What Israel's experiencing to this weekend is nothing new. What we have experienced in our world with 9-11 or things of that nature, when you have this, or Pearl Harbor or catastrophic events, evil people doing evil things, nothing new. And so we're diving back into 2 Samuel. We're going to see that violence is about ready to just almost destroy the house of David. It's going to be hanging on by a thread. And remember, why is this happening? Because David had sinned and walked away from the Lord. He had done something incredibly selfish. He had taken another man's wife. He had killed him. He, took, he killed her husband to do so and, and tried to cover up his sin. And the Lord said, this is going to result now in violence in your kingdom. Your house will never be a house of peace anymore. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the prayers I always pray with my family is that the Lord would let our house be a house of peace. I want, when we come home, I want it to be a sanctuary. I want it to be, I want it to be a place where we can just rest and, and smile and laugh together. But I also know that if we don't follow the Lord's ways, that that will never happen. David is living proof of a guy who loved the Lord. Had a, he was a man after God's own heart, is what Scripture says. But because of his sin, peace departed his household. And that's where we pick it up right here. Starting in verse uh, 23 um, of 2 Samuel 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It says this, Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Belhazar near Ephraim, Absalom invited the king's sons to come to the feast. Now remember, just if you're new here, last, last week we looked at what happened when Absalom's beloved sister was raped by Absalom's half-brother, Amnon. Remember that? So Amnon saw her, wanted her, was selfish, took her. Now Absalom hates, hates Amnon with a passion. And it's been two years now, and he's not talked to Amnon since, but he's been, he has been letting vengeance grow in his heart. He's been letting bitterness grow in his heart, and that's where we pick it up with this passage. So they're, gonna, they're having this big party, a sheep shearing party, and Absalom is inviting everyone to come. And, uh, and so he went to the king. And he said, my sheep shearers are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? Now, just so you know, this is like Super Bowl Sunday. I know it's super weird, right? Like sheep shearing. Like it's Super Bowl Sunday when this was a big deal. Whenever they were going to shear their sheep, they would call the community together. You'd get your friends together, your family together, and say, hey, we're going to have a party. The sheep shearers are, are getting all the, the wool off the sheep, and, and we're, gonna, we're just going to celebrate and, and give God glory for the provision of, of wool and everything he's given us. And so that's, kind of, that's really kind of what was going on here. So when you, when you hear that, I just want to put some context to that, that, that. That was our version of Super Bowl Sunday, right? And so you can imagine that. You know, he's going to invite his dad, the king, to come. He's going to invite his friends. And so he does. He reaches out and he says to the king, hey, come. And, and King David replied, he said, no, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden for you. Okay, so again, like I want to have a big party. And the king's like, nah, that might just be a little too much for you, Absalom. 
Absalom pressed him, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. He said, hey, no, just go and have a good time, son. I'm not going to burden you with my presence. Well then, Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon with us? <laughs> okay, now, again, two years have passed. But David's not stupid. And I, I promise you, as parents, sometimes we, we look the other way and we kind of see the world through rose-colored glasses. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we know there's, some, there's more to the story than, than we're re- wanting to believe personally. But we know it in our heart of hearts. And David's the same way. He's saying, okay, well, why do you want Amnon to go? Remember, Amnon's the oldest of the sons, uh, of the king's sons. So this is going to be like he's, by all historical ancient standards, he was the heir to the throne. And David's going to love Amnon almost kind of in a special way. He loves Absalom too, but Amnon's his firstborn. And so David says, Absalom, why Amnon? Why Amnon? And Absalom kept pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons attend, including Amnon. So Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. So David, again, was suspicious. He knew something was going on. And last week, we talked about David being that passive father. If David was an active father, I think he probably would have gone, even cause especially because he was suspicious, right? If you're, if you're thinking, ah, this could go poorly, if I'm David and want to allow Absalom to have the party and I'm going to allow my sons to go, I think I'm going to go too. And I'm probably going to be watching. I'm probably going to be on guard to make sure the peace is kept. Everybody in the kingdom knows that Absalom is not friends with Amnon. That's why David asked that. It was not a secret what Tamar, what happened to Tamar, what Amnon did to Tamar, and Absalom hating Amnon. This has been two years. Gossip rumors, the gossip mill was working, and and people knew what was going on, even David. But again, remember, see this through the lens of David's passivity. He was a passive father, and he still allows this to happen. So just a foolish decision by, by David. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, kill him don't, and don't be afraid. I am the one who has given you the command, take courage and do this. He's saying, my authority, I'm the prince and I'm giving you authority. Because I, I, if you're the servant and you're thinking, I'm going to kill the king's firstborn, that's pretty much a death sentence. Right? Like, like, what servant wants to carry that? Now they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. You, you know, what they, have you, does anybody work for two bosses? <laughs> yeah, you laugh because, because it's not easy, right? It's not easy. It, you know, one boss says do this, the other boss says do this. Whose authority do you go with? That's what's happening here. Absalom's saying, nope, it's my authority, guys. Kill Amnon when he gets drunk and take courage. I'm giving you the command. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. So the rest of the sons didn't know what Absalom was capable of doing, but they just saw their brother get killed. And now now they, they run, they flee. Okay, so I want you to see this in the context of David being a passive father, but now see this in the context of Absalom following in his father's footsteps. Like father, like son. And it might be a harsh thing to say, but David did the same thing. He murdered a husband to take the wife. And now we see the seeds that, that were in David's heart were, 
were transferred over to Absalom, given to Absalom. This is this idea of generational curses almost. You know, just this willingness to murder, to take what you want. David wanted something, and he took it by force. Absalom wanted something, and he took it by force. Now keep in mind, in both cases, remember that alcohol was involved in both murders. Now, remember Absalom said, hey, get Amnon drunk when he's not in his right mind and kill him. Well, why? Because it's going to be easier for the men to overtake him when he's not in his right mind. Remember David? David tried to get Uriah drunk. Now, Uriah did get drunk, but even in his drunkenness, Uriah didn't do what David wanted him to do. So David killed him. You know, he was trying to get Uriah drunk because remember Bathsheba was pregnant. David got Bathsheba pregnant when Uriah was out at war. So when he finds out Bathsheba's pregnant, he's like, oh no, like, this is going to come back on both of us. She's going to get, she's going to, everyone knows that she hasn't been with her husband. If she's pregnant, that means she's been with somebody else. They're going to start asking questions. It's going to indict me. So I'm going to call Uriah back. Hey, Uriah, just go and spend time with your wife. And he wouldn't do it because he said, my men are on the battlefield. It's not right for me to have the pleasures of home when my men are on the battlefield. So David tries to get Uriah drunk. And Uriah still wouldn't do what David wants. So David then had him murdered, put him on the front line of the battle, and he was killed. Ephesians 5, 18 says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, it's, it's, not, uh, it, it's not something to the effect of where I'm going to tell you that alcohol is, is a sin. It's not. It's not a sin to drink alcohol. Jesus drank wine. This is not a, this is not a new thing. It, it's, there, will, there will be some churches that will absolutely condemn alcohol. I'm not here to do that today. But I am here to say, it can ruin your, your life if you get drunk. It is a sin to be drunk with wine. It is a sin to be drunk with alcohol. So as, as, we, as we steward what God has given us, understand that there are things in this world that are, that are good things. But too much of a good thing can destroy your life. Somebody asked me, at a, I was speaking up at Adams County just a couple nights ago, and somebody asked me about the legalization of marijuana. What do I believe on that? Marijuana is a, it's a natural thing. God put it in the ground. Like this is not a, it's not some synthetic concocted, you know, just thing that was made in a lab. Marijuana is a, is a natural thing. But my response was, I don't want it to be legal in our society because I understand what, how the abuse of marijuana leads to the degrading of our society. And, you know, he's, he, this guy who was asking, I could tell just by the way he looked, he was much more of a libertarian in his mindset, which I, there's libertarian in me too. It's like, hey, you can be stupid, just don't let your stupid in, impact me, right? Like, God gives you the freedom to be dumb, the government should be, give you the freedom to be dumb. That's kind of the libertarian's mindset. And there's a part of me that agrees with that. But, but there's also a part of me that understands if we don't put good moral boundaries on our society, it's going to impact all of us. I grew up in Michigan. Michigan legalized marijuana a few, a few months ago, or a few years ago. It's not gone well for Michigan. Everything, it seems like they're having more and more drug issues and harder drug issues. And if you talk to anybody in Michigan, they're gonna say the gateway was the marijuana. Now, it's a natural thing. I'm not saying that marijuana in itself is a bad thing. God created it. But how you use it is the issue. When you're using it to get high, that's an issue. That is a sin. Same thing with alcohol. When you're using it to get drunk, that is a sin. So I just want you to know, you, you're going to see in this passage that substance abuse ruin lives. Now, if you're struggling with that, we've got great resources to help you 
pull yourself out of that. I, I remember being addicted to Mountain Dew. It's not just alcohol. I have no joke. In college, I was so addicted to Mountain Dew, I couldn't go a few hours without needing a Mountain Dew to get, to get the shakes away. I mean, that's bad. And the Lord convicted me of that. He says, you need to give this up right now because you, this is becoming a substance abuse issue for you. And so I did. I stopped cold turkey for three days. It was the worst three days of my like, college career. I was the, like, the, the whole, I couldn't even get my pencil to write Right. And it, that didn't work in class when I told my professors, like, it's, it's a Mountain Dew addiction. I'm trying to get through it. And they had no mercy whatsoever on me. They said, suck it up, Beckwith. We still want your homework in on time. But, but again, this is going back to, are you giving yourself over to something other than the Holy Spirit? That's the issue. And we see Amnon got drunk with wine. He would have known better. He shouldn't have done it but it cost him his life because he did it. Verse 30, as they were on their way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed all the king's son and not one of them is left. Now remember, what, what happened? Did Absalom kill all the king's sons? No, he just killed Amnon. All the king's sons fled afterwards, but this is the report that got back to David. The king got up, tore his robe, threw himself on the ground. His advisors also tore their clothes in horror and in sorrow. It, again, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it was refreshing to know that fake news has been around for a long time. Okay? This is not a new phenomenon. Okay? It's not a new phenomenon. And, and again, I think what, what, I, what I took from this was we got to have discernment, people. We got to have discernment. How, how easy, especially in the heat of battle, can somebody say something and everyone begins to believe it? Gosh, look around the last three, COVID, right? I mean, that was a battle. There was, there was a, certainly a spiritual battle going on. And it was like one report. I saw it on both, on both ends, the, the, you know, the right and the left. I saw just one report comes out and everyone goes, starts losing their minds over. And I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. Is this true? Where did you hear this? Let's, let's you know, think about this from a rational perspective. And even if it is true, where's your hope? You know, wh who are you putting your hope in? And so we see that this, the word got back to the kingdom, to David, and it was a fake news, and they, everyone took it for gospel truth, and this began to, I mean, can you imagine thinking all my sons are dead? I mean, it's bad, bad enough that one, your oldest son is dead, but all your sons are dead? I mean, all your sons. The promise was in David's son, Solomon. God had given David a promise that Solomon was going to carry on the legacy, so David would have had that in his heart, and all of a sudden, now he believes in this moment that God's promise is no more. So think about David. He took his eyes off of the Lord in that moment. He said, oh, God, you said, but the world did this, and now your promise, your promise is, is no more. That's what David's doing right now. He's, yeah, he's mourning for his sons, but he's also mourning for the promise. He's like, I really messed up. God is done with me. So they're tearing their clothes they're ripping, they're, they're falling on their face and, and, and mourning and sorrow, great sorrow steps in. But just then, just then, Jonadab, remember Jonadab? The weed, right? The, again, not this weed, that weed, right? Okay, I, was, I know I just want to be clear. The weed in the ground, last week we talked about the difference between an oak tree and a tumbleweed. Jonadab, what a, what a weed of a, of a guy. Only out there looking for his own benefit. But he's in the palace. And, he's, and he knows some information. And he goes to the king and he says, he says to the king, uh, no, don't believe all that the king's sons have done or have been killed. Don't believe all that the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. 
Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Now I want to ask something here. It doesn't, the scriptures don't say, it doesn't say that Jonadab was at the sheep shearing, but he happened to be in the presence of the king. So my, I'm going to assume that Jonadab was with the king. How would Jonadab know that this was going to happen? He was intimately connected to this whole story. Remember, he's the one who advised Amnon to take Tamar and rape Tamar. Okay, this guy is a snake, and he's only out for his own benefit. And now he sees an opportunity to win favor with the king. Hey, the king thinks all of his sons are dead. I'm going to bring good news to him. It wasn't all your sons. It was just Amnon. And I know the inner workings of what's going on between Absalom and Abnon. Everybody knew Absalom was going to kill Amnon at some point. Even I knew that. And yet here I am. I'm going to go tell the king. Don't worry about it, king. I got some good news for you. No, my lord, the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Now, you know, like I said, Jonadab, he's cunning as a snake, but he's also really good at reading people. And I want you to understand that this idea that uh, you, your gifting sometimes can be a great, a great blessing, but they can also be a great curse upon you and upon other people. We see in Matthew chapter 10, behold, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Be weary and wise or as cunning as serpents. But then Jesus goes on and he says, he says this, be as innocent, as harmless, guiltless, and without fallacy as, as doves. And, and I think that's the, that's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, guys, you got to understand this world, there's wicked, evil people in this world. And I want you to be cunning. I want you to be wise, but I want you to do it from an innocent, godly perspective. I don't know if you've ever seen sheep in the kind of in the, in the sort of with the shepherd, right? Kind of in the pasture. They will go right up to a wolf. A sheep will walk right up to a wolf thinking that it's just another sheep. They are not, until the, that wolf is on it and eating it, that sheep doesn't realize it did something wrong, right? And, and what Jesus is saying is, that, guys, you, are, you should have discernment. You need to be wise. You need to be able to discern when the evil is trying to do evil and wicked things. I'm not, you're not doormats. You're sons and daughters to the king of kings. And I think sometimes Christians, for whatever reason, think that we're just called to be doormats and to be walked all over. That's not God's desire for us. We are to be conquerors and victors. There's a time to turn the other cheek, but even in turning the other cheek, you're doing it with wisdom and discernment and with a cunning kind of nature, like, like what, a, what a snake, almost like, and again, I'm not saying snake in a bad way. I'm just saying snakes are very cunning. They, they know how to survive and they know how to kill uh, their prey. They know how to do what they need to do. So, so Jesus is saying, this is Jesus' words himself, be like snakes, but also be as innocent as doves because you're being sent out like sheep among wolves. And then you see in Genesis 3, I love the amplified version because it'll give you other passages of scriptures to jump to. Look at what the serpent, what, what the Bible says about the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. Okay, so that's, that's not a bad it's not a bad quality. That's actually probably a good quality. The problem is the serpent, the devil, was using the cunning for things that were not innocent and not good. And he, Satan, said to the woman, can it really be that God has said? I mean, this is, this is our culture today. Just a little side note here. When people start asking the question, did God really say? I want everyone, that, that should be a red flag in that very moment. 
that that's the same words the devil used to get Eve, Adam and Eve to both sin. Did God really say, I, I hear this all the time in the LGBTQ world, especially in the Christian world. When Christians, there's a church, there was a church over uh, in Westfield supporting the, the gay pride fest that was going on in Westfield the other day. And the pastor was doing a video and the whole message was, did God really say, did God really say that this is wrong? If two people love each other, then God's, God's cool with that. Did God really say? And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, you sound like somebody I know. His name was the serpent <laughs> in the Garden of Eden. But that's the question that has, that has wrecked mankind for, for generations because we start to say, oh, I don't know if God really said. No, you can know what God says. Go to his word. You can know what God says. He says, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? Now, I also like this. I, I love going back and looking at the Garden of Eden too because that's what, that's what it's going to be like in the new heaven and new earth. Like we're gonna, some people think that we're going to die and go live in the clouds. No, God has always called us to be earth dwellers. He's making all things new. So it started up here, perfect. Man sinned, came all the way down here to Jesus. Jesus came, and now redemption is happening. It's going all the way back to the garden. And I like the idea that you're going to be able to talk to animals in the new heaven and new earth. Now, you might be thinking, whoa, 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 Michael, hold up a second. Well, one, keep in mind, there's an animal talking to Eve, and she doesn't find that weird, okay? I, I mean, if there's an animal talking to you, and you don't find that weird, it probably, there's probably some aspect of this is somewhat normal. And then you go to Balaam. Remember, Balaam was a, was a, was a prophet who had a, a mule, a donkey, right? What does the Bible say? Like, there was an angel that was set that had come to stop Balaam from going where he was supposed to go. And the donkey could see it, but Balaam couldn't see it because he was being dumb and he wasn't listening to the Lord. The donkey wouldn't go across this bridge where the angel was. The donkey kept like jerking him and Balaam was beating the donkey and like, let's go. And the donkey sees this angel. The Bible says in that moment that the donkey's tongue was loosed and the donkey spoke to Balaam. It said, you're an idiot. This guy's going to kill you right there if I let you go. I'm trying to save your life. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but that's basically what, what the donkey said. But think about it this way. It says the, the, the tongue of the donkey was loosed. What's the opposite of loosed? Tied up. Well, what happened? When did it get tied up? Got tied up in the fall of man. Okay, so again, cool stuff that you sometimes don't stop and think about. You will be able to communicate with animals. Like, speak, and that, again, that's just, uh, you, you may say, oh, Micah, that's like speculation and stuff. I'm just saying, I, I see that between the lines pretty easily in Scripture. So, tangent, I just thought that that was cool. I just wanted to point that out to you. And um, I can't wait to have conversations with dogs and, and be like, you know, it's like, so tell me again, like, why you eat your own vomit? Like, does it taste really good, you know? Oh, my, <laughs> you know. Okay, anyway, all right, back to, the, back to the second Samuel. John and Dad was trying to win favor with the king. If you haven't seen that, this, is, this guy is all about his own well-being. He wants to win favor with the king. Remember, there was another guy. Remember the guy after King Saul, right at the beginning of second Samuel. King Saul was killed, and what happens? There is, a, there is a, an, an enemy of, uh, of the king, or of Israel, that comes to David and says, hey, I, I killed King Saul. Remember that story? He says, I killed King Saul. 
And I, and I put an end to your enemy. And David was thinking, you killed the king of Israel? This guy was thinking, I'm going to win favor with the king. I'm going to win favor with David, and I'm going to go and tell him I killed him, even though I didn't really kill him. And David ended up executing the messenger that said, I killed King David. Again, David had discernment at the beginning of 2 Samuel to recognize this guy's a snake. He's just trying to get in good with me. And now, fast forward, David, years down the road, same thing is happening. David doesn't recognize what's going on. The discernment is gone. Jonadab gives foolish counsel to Amnon to force himself on Tamar. He now comes to the king. And he, he says, hey, it's not all your sons. I mean, I would say the most dangerous character in this whole story is Jonadab. And yet David doesn't have the discernment to recognize this. He had the discernment at the beginning of 2 Samuel. He didn't now. What happened? I think David is getting complacent with his relationship with the Lord. He was very in tune to the Lord at the beginning of 2 Samuel because if God hadn't shown up many times over, David would have been dead and David knew that. So he was fully dependent on God. What a great place to be. But now, in David's success, he got complacent, and now he lost discernment. And the most dangerous character in this entire story is now using his snaked, his forked tongue to get his way. I would say this about Jonadab. He has skill, but he doesn't have hesitation. He doesn't have prudence. He doesn't have, he doesn't have this idea of like, I probably need to be careful how I use this. He also has wisdom, but he doesn't have ethics. You could argue it's not really wisdom. Yes, that's a good point. But it's really more he, he has insight without integrity. So you, if God has given you these things, if God has given you skill, be hesitant to jump into anything and use your skill. Make sure the Lord is calling you to do what you're being called to do. If, you're, if you have no ethics you're going to be dangerous. If you have no integrity, you're also going to be dangerous. There was a, uh, there was a, in ancient, well, not ancient history, medieval history in the, in the 1500s, there was a pastor, they called him vicars at the time, the vicar of Bray. He, he was Catholic under uh, Henry VIII. You know, oh, I'm Henry VIII, I am Henry VIII, I am, I am, I got married to the widow next door, she's been married seven times before. Remember that, that, that song, okay? Yeah, right? Yeah, I'll grab my guitar next service and sing it for everyone. All right. Um, okay, so he was Catholic then. But then, after Henry VIII uh, was, was killed, uh, he, he was Protestant under Edward VI. Okay, he went from Catholic to Protestant. You'd be like, ah, oh, dude, come on, what are you doing? And then, after Edward VI, he was Catholic again under Queen Mary. Okay, you know Bloody Mary? Okay. And then, after Queen Mary, he was Protestant under Queen Elizabeth. Okay, so again, this is a pastor jumping around. And when he was called out on it, this is his response. He says this. He says, I cannot help that. I can't help it that I'm a squish, right? Uh, if I change my religion, I am sure I keep true to my principle, which is to live and die vicar of Bray. Yeesh. I don't want to be that guy standing before the Lord someday. He was true to his principle but his principle was just power. That's all it was. And I would say Jonadab is in the same boat. The story of jo Jonadab, according to John Calvin, he says this, the story of Jonadab warns us to pray that if God has given us some prudence, he would also add integrity and sincerity so that we may keep ourselves from craftiness. If God has gifted you, 
you need to be praying, God, give me integrity and sincerity. And, and we're all gifted. So this should be all of our prayers. I'm not trying to single anybody out as being more gifted or not. But, but you have gifts, and you should be praying. I should be praying, Lord, keep me on the straight and narrow. Help me to be humble. Help me to have integrity and sincerity. Because without this, this could be detrimental to the whole church as a whole. I love what uh, Ralph uh, Davis, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary on 2 Samuel, he says this, In the body of Christ, those with the greatest gifts pose the greatest threats. For unless they wrap gifts in godliness, they multiply disaster among Christ's flock. I think we've probably all seen this. We see when somebody in leadership position, someone that's notable, somebody that's well-known, especially within the Christian community, when they have a moral failing, when they, when they do something dumb, when they fall, it sends ripple effects across the globe. It sends ripple effects into, into the actual the body of Christ, into the flock. And it hurts the witness. It hurts what other people are trying to do. And so if that's you today and you're saying, okay, God, you've given me great gifts. Remember, you're also probably one of the biggest threats. That's humbling for somebody like me, for somebody like you, for people who are being used in a powerful way out, outside these walls. It's like, okay, Lord, I need you. I need you to keep me humble. I need godliness. So please, please, please don't let me follow my heart. Remember last week I said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked is what scripture says. Who can know it? Don't follow your own heart. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom and discernment. Verse 34, meanwhile Absalom escaped. Then the watchman on Jerusalem's wall saw a great crowd coming down the hill on the road from the west. He ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming from the, the, the horn, 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 the horn, Hor, I, I, okay, I practice this word, okay? Uh, and I just, uh, I was like, it was Friday when I practiced it. Horonium, Horonium Road, along the side of the hill. Okay, so, uh, and, then, and then they said, look, Jonadab told the king, there they are now. The king's sons are coming, just as I said. Oh, man, well, that's amazing, Jonadab. You knew what you were talking about. Well done. Thank you so much. You have been such a blessing to me and my family. That's got to be what Jonadab's thinking the king's going to say. And that, honestly, that's probably what the king was thinking. You've been such a help to my family today. Thank you so much. Like, this guy is the guy who caused all of this to happen in the first place. He gave bad counsel to Amnon to rape Tamar, which never would have led to Amnon's murder by Absalom had not Jonadab said what Jonadab said. And now Jonadab is playing his cards to say, oh, I'm your hero. I care about your family. See this guy? I mean, this guy is a snake, the most dangerous character in this whole story. And they soon arrived weeping and sobbing, and the king and all of his servants wept bitterly with them. So they were still very sad that Am Amnon had been killed. And now you have a son, Absalom, who's also really not there. He's going to be, he's, he's going to exile himself here. And this is what we see. And David mourned many days for his son, Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. Now remember, Absalom's mother was Maacah, and she was the son of the king, or she was the daughter of the king of Geshur that was given in marriage to David. All right, Amnon and Absalom had different mothers, but they had the same father. So now Absalom is running back. Now keep in mind, he's doing this on his own accord. There's nothing in scripture that says he was exiled by the king. He's doing it on his own. He's going back to where he knows he can find safety. He can find safety in the arms of his grandfather, the king of Geshur. So now this is that self-imposed exile that we see. And he'll be there for about three years. 
And he stayed there for three years, as I just said. I forgot that that was the next uh, verse. So <laughs> I saw that. I was like, ah, oh, geez, Micah, come on. Like, let, let, the, let the Bible do the talking. Don't steal its thunder. All right. Um, and, the King da- and then King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Okay, so we just jumped from about, you know, three years. So now we're seeing David is saying, man, I, I long for Absalom. I know Absalom did a wicked thing, but boy, I, I want I want him back. And I think David, David loved his children. I, I, you can see this throughout all of Scripture. It wasn't that David didn't care for his children. He did. He just fathered them poorly. And I think that's maybe, if that's you today, if you're a parent and you fathered your, your, or mothered your child poorly, take heart. Know that you're not alone. Maybe you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes when it comes to parenting. You still love your children. Still make make amends. Try to go and reach out to them and make amends with them. Try to try to do what you can to pull them back into your arms. There's always redemption when Jesus is in the picture. There's you never you never have a life without hope if you if Jesus is with you. But here we are, David. He's going to have some serious consequences. And remember, it goes all the way back to when he sinned. Through all these events, David could barely contain his anger. This is what what you know what we saw at the end of. Last week, verse uh, 20, 21, David was very angry is what Scripture said. He could barely contain his anger throughout all of this, through the rape of Tamar, through the death of Amnon, but unfortunately, he did. It's okay to have righteous anger. When I saw what I saw yesterday, my, I, I, was so, I was so mad. When I saw there was a, I don't know if you saw it, there was a, there was a body of a teenage girl in her underwear. She was thrown in the back of a truck. Her legs were all bent. I mean, you could tell like life, like she wasn't alive, like her, she was turning that sort of that, um, that cream, like toxic color, you know, and, and her face, she was face down. You had all these men on the back of the truck with guns. And, and here's this lifeless teenage body right there. I mean, my anger was so mad. And I just want everything in me just want, if I was, Praise God I wasn't president because I would have probably just sent in the whole, you know, Pacific fleet to go just wipe that place off the, you know, wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. But there's a time when you're going to be righteously anger, angry, righteously angry. And it should lead to us wanting justice. It should lead to us pursuing justice. God is the God of justice. You know, in 2020, we heard a lot of stuff coming in 2020. One of the things I heard often was this slogan that Black Lives Matter would say often, where uh, no justice, no peace. And you know what? They were right. Where there is no justice, there is truly no peace. And that's how the devil works. I'm not saying BLM is is a good organization. It's not. It was a Marxist anti-God organization. But the devil will take a truth. He'll warp it for his own being, for his own purposes. And there is truth in this statement. When the kingdom, there is no justice in that kingdom, you will not have peace. And David, for three and a half, four years, has not pursued justice. Even though he was righteously angry, he did not pursue justice. And it's going to lead to more chaos. It's going to lead to more havoc and lives destroyed. Remember 2 Samuel 2, 10, when this all started, from this time on, this is Nathan speaking to David, giving him the word of the Lord. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. The Lord was prophesying through, through Nathan what was going to happen. You're not going to have peace. 
and there was no justice, and therefore there was no peace. Micah 6.8, one of my favorite verses, says this, Has the Lord told you, O man, what is good? Or he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, you got to be humble. Because without humility, you're going to have your gifts. They're going to lead you astray. So the Lord is saying, seek justice. Pursue mercy as well. You know, we should want mercy for people. We should want people to know the Lord and come back to mercy. We should be willing to give second chances. But we also are not going to be able to steward justice and mercy together if we don't have humility with, with God. And that's what Micah 6 eight is saying. Where did Absalom go so wrong? As I was thinking about this, you know, part of me kind of gets it. I was thinking about, okay, Absalom, is he really the bad, is he really a bad guy here? Like, we're, he's mad. He, his dad didn't carry out justice. I, I can see where he's coming from. His beloved sister was abused and ravaged. And dad didn't do anything. He's the king. He had all authority to do something. He didn't do anything. So it wasn't, he wasn't wrong in his anger. That was a righteous anger. He was mad that somebody was, somebody who was weaker, less powerful, was taken advantage of. He wasn't wrong in longing for justice. And you know what? He wasn't even wrong in his desire to see vengeance. That might take you back for a second, but let me explain. Vengeance isn't evil. Just so you know. We may, we may think, oh, we shouldn't be vengeful. No, 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 that's not what Scripture says. What Scripture says is that it's not yours to dole out. Where Absalom went wrong was that he took hold of vengeance himself. That was the mistake Absalom had. He went after vengeance. Vengeance, there is no human heart on this world that is capable of stewarding vengeance. When I, see, when I see what's going on in Israel, one of the things the Lord speaks to me, says, Micah, you're right to be angry, you're right to desire justice, and you're right to even desire vengeance, but don't you dare try to steward that vengeance yourself. Because if you do, it will destroy you just like we're going to see it destroyed Absalom. You cannot steward that. The human heart is not capable of its stewardship. That's the danger with vengeance. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. It doesn't say that you won't have vengeance for what you went through. It just says, don't avenge yourself. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Now, why does God say that? Why does God say that he will repay? Because he's the only one that has the heart capable to do it in a godly way. He can steward that vengeance without letting the personal impact that that, 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 that thing, that, that wickedness that hit you, he can steward that and say, I'm going to dole it out in the way it needs to be doled out. Absalom tried to dole it out in the way he thought it should be doled out, and now we're going to see it almost destroys the whole household of David, and it, kills, it takes Absalom's life too. We should have forgiveness like the first martyr, Stephen. And in Acts 7, we, we see Stephen's testimony. He gets up and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus to the Pharisees, to the, to the religious leaders of the day, and they hate him for it. And it says this, Now when they heard him preach these things, they were enraged. 
and, the, and they ground their teeth at him. They, they literally were that mad where they were gnashing their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, remember, be full of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This was before Paul was Paul. This was the apostle Paul when he was killing Christians. One of the first times we see Saul mentioned in Scripture is right here. Is at the death of Stephen. And they're laying down the garments at this young man named Saul saying, we've done what you've asked us to do. Here's, here's the life of Stephen. God redeems Saul. I mean, this is a whole other message in itself. I don't want to go down that tan- tangent there, but this is, this is amazing. And here is Stephen's response as they were doing this. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out to the Lord, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. There's no heart of vengeance. He knew that vengeance was the Lord's and that God was going to, make right what was happening. But he said, God, just don't, don't hold this against them. And who does this sound like? This sounds like our Lord Jesus. When he was hanging on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were hammering nails into the God of the universe. And he says, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to invite the prayer team down. And as they're coming down, I I want us to pray this prayer together out loud. This is just a prayer of personal forgiveness. And if you're struggling with forgiveness, we're going to give you a time where between now and the next service, if you just want people to pray with you and just help you walk through stewarding your heart when somebody has wronged you, just come down and let them pray for you. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to have righteous anger. It's okay to be hurt. But it's not okay to steward vengeance. It's not your job to steward vengeance. But we've got to give it over to the Lord because I'm telling you, that is a hard thing to do. Let's pray this together. If you would, just read it out with me. Father, I ask that you give me the strength to let go of vengeance. Help me to forgive those who have hurt me and let me not be deceived to think my heart is capable of stewarding vengeance. Give me forgiveness like that of Stephen and a forgiveness like that of Jesus. It is because you have first forgiven me that I am now able to forgive others. It is in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen. As you go today, ask that the Lord would just soften your heart. Those who have wronged you, God will deal with that. Trust me, I get wronged, I'm wronged, I've been wronged. I have been the one who has wronged others. Like, you're gonna be in this story. I, I hope you see yourself through this, through this whole story. Like, I can see myself in David. I can see myself in Absalom. I can see myself in Jonadab. I can see myself in Amnon. I can see myself in Tamar. I can see myself in all of these characters. And I hope you're kind of in that same place where you're seeing yourself in all of these characters and you're saying, all right, Lord, I need you because I could easily fall into just 
the similar things that they have fallen into. And without you, I'm lost. But with you, I have hope. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.